Section 7 of Diary of a U-Boat Commander This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Diary of a U-Boat Commander By Stephen King Hall Section 7 I have told Max's secretary that I want to get to sea. To be here in Bruges and not to see her is more than I can bear. I sail at dawn to-morrow. Shall I see her? No, it is best not. A frightful noise over the New Year celebrations to-night. Champagne flowing like water in the mess. I feel the year 1917 opens badly for me. Weissman also went to sea again for a short trip in the Channel and is not reported for five days. Perhaps he has despised the Dover Barrage once too often. If this is so, it is a great loss to the service. He was a man of iron resolution in underwater attack. I feel I ought to despise Zoe, but I can't. I love her too much. After all, am I not perhaps encasing myself in the robe of a Pharisee? She offered me all she had save only the one thing I asked, without which I will take nothing. I cannot reconcile her behavior with her character. Why can't she trust me? Why can't she be frank with me? I will not believe she is that sort. I feel I cannot go out again without a sign. I may not return, and I will not leave her, perhaps forever, with this bitterness between us. New Entry at sea and UC-47 again, Alton as surly as ever. I decided finally to write to Zoe, but found it difficult to know what to say. Eventually I said more than I had intended. I told her frankly that I experienced a shock, but that I had not meant to seem so cold, and that what I had done had been done for both our sakes. I told her that I still loved her and I implored her once more to leave the Colonel and come to me as my wife. Already I long to know what message awaits me on my return. This will not be for three days. We left at dawn this morning to lay mines off the channel to Harwich Harbour, a nest from which submarines, cruisers, and destroyers buzz in and out like wasps. It will be ticklish work. New Entry On the Bottom our minds are still with us, but so are our lives, which is something. We were approaching the appointed spot at 6 a.m. this morning, when without the slightest warning the track of a torpedo was seen streaking towards us about fifty yards on the starboard bow. Before Alton, who was on the bridge with me, could do more than press the diving alarm, the track met our ram. I breathed again, and was then reminded by an oath from Alton that the boat was diving. It was evident that we had only been saved by the torpedo running deep under the cutaway part of our bow, otherwise. Well, the tangle of my affairs would have been easily straightened. Further procedure on the surface was suicidal, and we kept hydrophone patrol, twice hearing the motors of the enemy submarine. At the moment we are on the bottom, waiting to come up and charge tonight, and lay our minds at dawn tomorrow. New Entry 
on the bottom in twenty-eight metres, and feeling none too comfortable, as there would appear to be about a dozen destroyers overhead. Last night, or rather early this morning, I participated in one of the most extraordinary incidents that I have ever heard of. It was pitch-black dark when I took over at four a.m., and a fresh breeze had raised a lumpy sea, which covered the bridge with spray. We were charging four hundred amps on each, with the intention of laying one mine directly there was sufficient light to get a fix from some of the buoys, which the English stick down all over the place, here in the most convenient manner possible. If only one could believe they never shifted them. Alton says it never occurs to an Englishman to do a thing like that, but I'm not so sure. However, we were proceeding along at about five knots, crashing into the sea rather badly, when out of the black beastliness of the night I saw a shape close aboard on the port hand. As I hesitated for a second as to my course of action, I was astounded to see a large submarine which must have been British, on an opposite course, not more than twenty-five metres away. This sounds absurd, but it really wasn't further. I'm not ashamed to confess that I was completely disorganised. It did not seem possible that the enemy was literally alongside me. I don't know how it struck the officer in the British boat, but I must give him credit for doing something first, for he fired a Verys white light straight at me as the two boats passed. It impinged on the hull, and in the flash I caught a photographic glimpse of his conning tower, on which was painted the letter E, followed by two numbers, of which one was a two, I think, and the other a nine. By this time he was on my port quarter and rapidly disappearing. In a frenzy of rage I managed to get my revolver out, and whilst with the left hand I pressed the diving alarm, with the right hand I emptied the magazine in his direction. When we were down, Alton practically refused to believe me, which made me very pleased that in descending I had trod on a pair of hands which turned out to be his, as he had started up the ladder to the upper conning tower when he first heard the alarm. I presume our opponent dived as well, but evidently he had put two and two together, and used his aerial at some period, for when at dawn we poked a periscope up, a flotilla of destroyers appeared to be looking for something which something was us, unless I am much mistaken. So we bottomed where we have been ever since. The hydroplane operator keeps up a monotonous sing-song to the effect that fast-running propellers are either receding or approaching. The crew are collected round the mine-tubes, as I write, and are singing a lugubrious song, the refrain of which runs, Death for the fatherland, glorious fate, this is the end that we gladly await. Why will the seamen always become morbid when possible? And there is not a man amongst them who is not inwardly thinking of some beer-hall in Bruges, though I suppose that, like their betters, they have had their romances of a tenderer kind. New Entry The boat has been rolling about on the bottom in the most sickening manner the whole afternoon. We flooded P and Q to capacity, which gave her fifty tons negative, but it seems to have little effect in steadying her, and it is evident that a really heavy gale is running on top. New Entry Surfaced at 10 p.m. A very heavy sea running, and impossible to do much more than heave to. 
This weather has one point in its favour, and that is that the destroyers are driven in. It got steadily worse all night, and at midnight we lost our foremost wire-mast overboard. We have now, 10 a.m., been forty-eight hours without communication. At dawn we could see nothing to fix by, not a buoy in sight, nothing but an expanse of foam-topped short steep waves of dirty neutral-tinted water. How different to the great green and white surges of the broad Atlantic! Under these circumstances Alton decided to risk it and return without laying our minds. For once in a way I agreed with him, as it is better not to lay a minefield at all than dump one down in some unknown position which one may have to traverse oneself in the course of a month or two. We are now slowly, very slowly, struggling back to Zeebrugge. A green sea came down the conning tower to-day, and everything in the boat is damp and smelly and beastly. The propellers race at frequent intervals, and the whole boat shudders. I feel miserable. Alton has started to drink spirits. He began as soon as we decided to go back. He will be incapable by to-night, and it means that I shall have to take her in. What hell this is, sitting in sodden clothes, with a stench of four days' living assaulting the nostrils, and a motion of the devil. The glass is very low and is slowly rising, so that I suppose it will blow harder soon, though it is about force eight at present. I wonder what Zoe will have written in reply to my note. When I think of what I rejected, and compare it with my beast-like existence here, I can hardly believe that I behaved as I did. What would I not give now to be transported back to the forest? At this rate of progress we shall take another twenty-four hours. I wonder if I can knock another half-knot out of her without smashing her up. New Entry The extraordinarily violent motion has upset the Anschutz. Footnote 1. The Gyroscopic Compass. End of footnote. The bearing cone of the stabilizing gyro has cracked and the master compass began to wander off in circles. I was just resting for an hour or two, wedged up on a wet settee with coats equally wet, when her heavy pitching changed to a wallowing roll, and I heard the pilot, who was on watch, cursing down the voice-pipe, as we had sagged off our course. I heard the voice of the helmsman querulously maintain that he was steering his course by Anschutz, so I got up and gingerly clawed my way into the control-room, where I found by comparing Anschutz with Magnetic that the former had gone to hell, the reason being obvious, as the stabilizer was exerting a strongly biased torque. I stopped the Anschutz, and asked the pilot to give the helmsman a steady by Magnetic. As we staggered back to our course I heard a thud in the wardroom and on returning to my settee found that Alton had rolled out of his bunk, where he was lying in a drunken stupor, and that he was face downwards, sprawling on the deck, half his face in the broken half of a dirty dish which had fallen off the table, whilst I was having tea. As I couldn't let the crew see him like this, I was obliged to struggle and get him back into his bunk. He was like a log, and absolutely incapable of rendering me any assistance though he did open his eyes and mutter, once or twice, as I lifted him up, trunk first and then his legs. He stank of spirits, and I hated touching him. 
Lord, what a truly hoggish man he is! Yet I cannot help envying him his oblivion to these surroundings. New Entry Arrived in this afternoon. Alton quite slept off his drink, and was offensively sarcastic as I worked on the forepart with wires, getting her into the shelters alongside the mole. I hastened up to Bruges, and in the mess heard several items of news and found two letters. The first, in a well-known handwriting, I opened eagerly, but received a chill of disappointment when I read its single line. I am here when you want me. Z. So she thinks to break my resolution. No, I am stronger than she, and now that I know she loves me, I can and will bend her to my will. Even now, at this distance of time, I can hardly understand my conduct the other day. I must have been given the strength of ten. I feel that I could not do it again. Had she hesitated a second longer at the door, well, I can hardly say what I would have done. It is my duty to do so, for her sake and my own. But I know my weakness, and in this fact lies my strength. Cost what it may, I shall not permit myself to go near her until she yields. The second letter gave me a great surprise. It was from Rosa. She has passed some examination, and is coming here, of all places, as a Red Cross nurse. She says she is looking forward to going round a U-boat. She assumes a good deal, I must say. Still, I suppose I must be polite to her. But why the deuce does she sign herself yours, Rosa? She's not mine, and I don't want her. It seems funny to me that I once thought of her vaguely in that sort of way. Now I feel rather disturbed that she is coming here, though I don't quite see why I should worry, and yet I wonder if it is a coincidence her coming to Bruges. I'm almost inclined to think it isn't. After all, every girl wants to get married, and without conceit my family, circumstances, and, in the privacy of the pages of this journal I may add, my personal appearances, are such as would appeal to most girls, except Zoe, apparently. I'll have to be on my guard against Miss Rosa. I heard today that I am likely to be appointed to the Periscope School in a few weeks' time and meanwhile I am to be attached as supernumerary to the Operations Division on Old Max's staff. New Entry The work here is most interesting. I feel glad that I am out of the spiders weaving the web for Britain's destruction. The impasse with Zoe still continues, and my peace of mind has been still further disturbed by the actual arrival of Rosa. She rang me up within twelve hours of her arrival, and, of course, I was obliged to call. That was the day before yesterday. Rosa is at the number three hospital here, and was horribly effusive. Some people would, I suppose, call her good-looking, but to me, with my mind's eye in perpetual contemplation of my darling Zoe, Rosa looked like a turnip. Her first movement after the preliminary greetings was to offer me a cigarette, I then noticed that her fingers were stained with nicotine, unpleasant in a man, disgusting in a woman. Her nose was shiny and greasy, horrible. After a little talk she volunteered the statement that yesterday was her afternoon off, 
and she was simply longing to have tea in the gardens. I endeavoured to make some feeble excuse on the grounds of the weather being unsuitable, but I am no good at these social lies, and I was eventually obliged to promise to take her there. I was the more annoyed in that her main object was obviously to be seen walking with the U-boat officer. Accordingly, yesterday, I found myself walking about with her at my side. My feelings can better be imagined than described when I suddenly saw Zoe, accompanied by Babette, in the distance, a hastily altered course and pray she didn't see me. In the course of the afternoon Rosa had the impertinence to say that at Frankfurt they were saying that I was interested in a beautiful widow at Bruges, and could she, Rosa, write and say I was heart-whole, or else what the girl was like? I'm afraid that I lost my temper a little, and I told Rosa she could write to all the busybodies at home, and tell them from me to go to the devil. These women in the home circle, and especially aunts, are always the same. Firstly, they badger one to get married, and then if they think one is contemplating such a step they are all agog to find out whether she is suitable. New Entry Three more boats, two of which are UCs, are overdue. It is distinctly unpleasant not knowing how or where they go, though the UB boat, Friedrich Althofen, made her incoming position the day before yesterday as off Dungeness so it looks as if the barrage at Dover which got Weissman has got Althofen as well. I wonder what new devilry they have put down there. How one wishes that in 1914, instead of seeking the capture of Paris, we had realized the importance of the Channel ports to England and struck for them. It would not have been necessary to strike even in September 1914. We could have walked into them. Dunkirk, at all events, should have been ours. However, we must do the best with things as they are, not that I would consider it too late even now to make a big push for the French coast. It would seem, as a matter of fact, that all the pushing is to be at the other end of the line, in the Verdun sector, from the rumours I hear, though I should have thought once bitten twice shy in that quarter. New Entry Saw Zoe again in the distance, and I think she saw me. At all events, she turned round and walked away. This girl whom I cannot, and would not if I could, obliterate from my thoughts, is causing me much worry. She shows no sign of giving in, and I for one intend to be adamant. I shall defeat her in time. The male intellect is always ultimately victorious, other things being equal. I was reading Schopenhauer on the subject last night. What a brain that man had! though I confess his analysis of the female mentality is so terribly and truthfully cruel that jars on certain of my feelings. Zoe's resolution in this conflict, this sex-war, one might call it, only adds to her charm in my eyes. She is, I feel, a worthy mate for me, both intellectually and physically, and she shall be mine. I have decided it. Met Rosa today at old Max's house, where I went to pay a duty call. Her Excellency is as forbidding a specimen of her sex as any I have ever met. She quite frightened me, and in the home circle the old man seemed quite subdued. 
I escorted Rosa home, and on the way to her hospital she gave me a great surprise, as after much evasive talk she suddenly came out with the news that she was engaged to Heinrich Baumer, of UC-23. I was quite taken aback, and will frankly confess that not so very long ago I imagined, evidently, erroneously, that she was disposed to let her affections become engaged in another quarter. However, I was really very glad to hear this news, and congratulated her with genuine feeling. The knowledge that she was a promised woman quite altered my feelings towards her, and before I quite meant to, I had told her a considerable amount about Zoe. It gave me much relief to be able to unburden myself, and confide my difficulties elsewhere than in the pages of this journal. I have asked the girl to tea tomorrow. New Entry A vile air-raid last night. British machines, of course. They seem determined to get over the town, and from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. relays of machines, of which not one was shot down, attacked us. The din was tremendous, and all sleep was out of the question. Morning revealed surprisingly little damage, as is often the case in these big raids, whereas a few bombs from a chance machine often work havoc. I was down at 50 B.C. Aerodrome this morning, and heard that as soon as the moon suits we are going to make Dunkirk sit up as retaliation for last night's efforts. There were also rumours of big attacks impending on London as soon as the new type of Gothas are delivered. That will shake the smug security of those cursed islanders. Rosa came to tea, and afterwards I told her more about Zoe, and as I expect any day to be appointed to the periscope school at Kiel, I asked Rosa to try and effect an introduction to Zoe, and do what she could for me. Rosa gave me the impression that she was somewhat surprised that I should have had any difficulty with Zoe. Of course I had not told her of the shooting-box scene. Rosa evidently thinks any woman ought to be honoured. Perhaps I was not so far wrong in my surmises as to Rosa's previous inclinations. I wonder. At any rate she will undoubtedly make Balmer a good wife, and she will probably be very fruitful and grow still fatter and housewifely. She is of a type of woman appointed by God in his foresight as breeders. Zoe, my adorable one, will probably not take kindly to babies. End of section.